Well, it is a privilege to be here this morning sharing uh, some things that God's put on my heart. Hopefully, you can take something away from it this morning. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is what it means to be members of one body. Members of one body. What does that mean? How, how do we come together in Christ as members? What does it mean to be united together? How are we tied? How does that happen? Uh, big questions this morning. Uh, and there's a, there's a few places where this topic comes up in Scripture. And so we're going to start off by just diving right into one of them, and then we'll, we'll unpack it uh, this morning. So we're going we're gonna to be reading in the book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to read through the first eight verses. So if you've got a Bible this morning, why don't you go ahead and pull that out. I'm going to start off just by, we're going to read God's Word together, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive back in and see uh, what all is there. So Romans 12 Starting in verse 1, I'm reading out of the ESV. The Apostle Paul starts off this way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that is our charge this morning. As we talk about what it means to be a member, there's, there's a number of contexts in our lives in, that we are members, whether it's a, you're in a family, you're, in a, uh, you're on a, a team, sports, you've, uh, you're, a, you're in a drama production, you're on a, in a cast. There's a lot of context that you're a member of something, and when we have those associations, we know that when you join something big or you join with other people, you don't always get to pick and choose exactly how things go. Sometimes you do things that you wouldn't necessarily choose to do. You give up some control. And sometimes you, maybe you disagree with, with the way things are going, but you can look back after time goes on and realize that, yeah, that, was, that wasn't so bad. Um, you know, I think of family vacations. You ever been on a family vacation that just kind of went sideways? There's lots of laughter this morning. I mean, that's, family vacations are, are tricky because you can't, you don't know what's going to happen and you've got lots of opinions when it comes to a family vacation. I remember one in particular when I was in high school, I think I was a freshman, so I'm, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old and we decided we're going we're gonna to go on vacation to, to Colorado. So we drive from Lisbon, Iowa to Colorado and that's a long drive. That's 12 hours in the van and, you know, we're we're, we're excited to go, we're excited to see the mountains, but man, that's, you know, after 12 hours, your, your back's sore and your 
bored and you have to go to the bathroom and it smells like wet feet in the van and you just you're just not sure what what's in store and you know we we did a bunch of things but the one in particular lots of them were great but the one in particular that sticks with me is when we went to the four corners have you been to the four corners monument in southwest colorado what'd you think that's that's like the worst tourist trap in the United States of America, the Four Corners. And as a 14-year-old, I'm, I'm grumpy about it. So we, we take off from Durango, and you drive what felt like half a day to get there. It's on an Indian reservation, so you're in the middle of nowhere. There's, there's nothing around you, and you get there, and it's just like a monument. You, just, you stand there, and it's basically it was built in a pre-Instagram era for Instagram. It's all you can do there is take selfies and then you, there's a flea market so you can buy tchotchkes and souvenirs and you take them home with you. So as a 14-year-old, I'm there and I'm just, I, I, I was just over it. I was just grumpy. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm in this pose the whole time and we're there for like an hour and a half, what felt like anyway. And it's just, we were there forever. And I just, I, I couldn't figure out what we were doing. But you look back on those times and man, it was, it was, it was fun. Being in the van, being out with my family, it was, it was definitely worthwhile. But, you know, there are times when we just, we don't know. You, you give up some control when you're part of something bigger. And I see some parallels with that dynamic that we have in a, in a church environment, when we are members of something that's, that's bigger than us. You know, church can have good days and, and it can have bad days. You know, we're, we're all different people, we're unique, we have different worldviews, we see the world through different lenses, and those differences can sometimes cause tension, it can cause butting heads, because we don't all get to choose the way that we want to do things. Uh, does everybody feel like church is hard, ever? Like maybe, maybe now, maybe you felt like that a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, I mean church can be hard, life is busy, it's accelerating, and it is not slowing down. Sunday morning isn't always easy to get to. You know, you look around and you're, you're, if you've got friends that aren't church people, like they've got time for brunch. They're, re, they're, you know, they're reading the newspaper, drinking coffee on Sunday morning. And sometimes it's hard to just get the energy to get there again. But we, we do it because it's important. But man, sometimes it just feels like, wouldn't it be easier? Can I, just, can I still worship God? Like, just on my own. Like, I don't have to do all this Sunday morning stuff. I don't have to be tapped into this place where there's people that I don't necessarily think are my people. How do we, how do we make this work to be truly engaged with one another when it's hard? And, and my, my heart this morning, as we dive into what it means to be one body, is for us to find some encouragement in, in the words of Scripture as we come together to, to see that it is possible. We can be one body. And what, what is it going to mean? How does it happen? What does it mean for us? And how do we move forward to truly serve God in our community as one body? So, so we're going to look this morning at a couple things. We're going to look at where it starts. We're going to look at what we become as one body. What does that mean? How are we one body? And then we'll talk about what we do once we are one body. So, so where does it start? What are we members of? And, and what do we do once we're members? So we'll start off, as I said in the beginning, where does it start? So we're going to go back to the first two verses in, in Romans 12. I'm going to reread those for us quickly here because uh, we get a sense for when we are members of one body, we've, you, you, don't just become, you don't just become members. You have to, it, it takes an act of 
divine movement for us to be one people, one body. And we have to be shaped and molded into this form. And so we'll start in Romans 12, 1 and 2 again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul tells us that ultimately it starts with sacrifice. That's how, that's where it begins. That's how we become one body. It starts with sacrifice. These two verses are thick with meaning and there's, I mean, we could spend, a gifted Bible teacher could spend a couple of weeks unpacking all this and he's got the, the week off today so we're going to have to wait on that. But so, so I'm not going to, I can't cover everything but I want us to see a couple things here. It begins with sacrifice. Because Paul says, he starts off by saying, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's saying, your, your Bible might say, in full view of God's mercy. Well, what, what mercy is he talking about? Where, where is, what mercy is he pointing us to? Well, I think we, we heard a little bit about that this morning uh, as Tim shared. I think what Tim said is exactly the mercy that God's talking about. It is God's sovereign act of redemption through his son Jesus. And if, if we scroll back a couple of pages here, if you look back through the book of Romans, he lays it out pretty clearly. It's that God created us and we rejected him, that all have sinned and fallen short, and that by that sin, we have rejected God. And we have, been con- we have condemned ourselves to death, but through his mercy, through his wisdom, he sent Jesus to be our savior And when we put our trust in that act, in his death and resurrection, now we have new life. And when that happens, that that is the mercy that Paul is pointing us back to, that we can have that righteous relationship with God through our faith in in Jesus' death and resurrection. So with that as the backdrop, Paul says, have your view be of these things. And when that happens, here's what we do. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So because Jesus sacrificed for us, we respond with sacrifice. We respond by saying, okay, I'm going to give you what I am. It's a living sacrifice. He's making a distinction between the concept of altar sacrifice versus a living sacrifice. For God's people, their act of worship throughout the years in the Old Testament was this altar sacrifice. It was to sacrifice an animal that represented a substitution trading their sin and God's punishment for their sin for the animal. The animal takes on his punishment and becomes a victim, so it's, it's not a living sacrifice. It gives its life in that process. And we then are called to be living sacrifices. So what, what does a living sacrifice look like? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you to some commentary uh, from Dr. William Barclay. In his commentary on Romans, he says this. He says that true worship is the offering of God to God of one's body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, or a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him, not something transacted in a church but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. Being a living sacrifice is more than Sunday 
morning. It's not just what happens here. Worship is not just Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30 or whenever we wrap up this morning. It's every day. When you go to work, when you have dinner as a family, when you go to the DMV to renew your driver's license, when you're drinking coffee with friends, it's every decision that you make, every choice, every act, every investment in relationship and energy is worship. We live as a perpetual sacrifice. And in order to do that, we have to be transformed. As we move to verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so we're not talking about, when we say transformers, it's not the, the awesome cartoons from the 80s or the very mediocre live-action movie franchise from about the last decade or so. He's not talking about that kind of transformers. He says, Move away from, there, there's a pattern that you see in the world around you. And we need to move away from that. He calls it the world. And he says, the world sets up for you a vision, a picture of what a successful life looks like. That you need to look a certain way, dress a certain way, have the right job, have the right perspective. And when you do that, that's what success looks like. And Paul says, uh-uh. No, we need to move away from that. We need to pull back from that picture, and we need to be transformed into a different mold. See, God is trying to mold us and shape us and fashion us into a specific form because he wants us to be members of something bigger. So he's working with each one of us to transform us and change us into a shape that's going to fit into this bigger picture. The word that Paul uses here for transform is the word, I'm going to butcher this because I don't speak Greek, but it's metamorpho, I believe, something along those lines. It sounds an awful lot like metamorphosis, but what it's trying to get across is a changing that is irreversible, a changing the pattern of how you live from what you see around you to something that is entirely different. It's a life that's given over to worshiping Christ with everything that you have and everything that you are. And I just I want to say here too, this is not something that I, by any stretch, am mastering. It's this is an encouragement this morning for us to pursue this together, knowing that we're gonna fall short. Because uh, I but I think it's interesting here, Paul doesn't tell us to transform ourselves. He doesn't say you need to change, you need to find the willpower, the strength to be different. He says to be transformed. The power to transform doesn't come from within, it comes from without. We are transformed. It's a passive tone that indicates something happening to you, not something that is happening because you're doing it yourself. We don't set out to transform ourselves. His mercy, as we picture his mercy, we are transformed. And he starts to, again, shape us into the form that he wants us to be in. So, so how, as we pursue what it means to be members, he shapes us, and how do we fit into this, this body? He, we, she, we fit in by letting God transform us into that shape that he has in mind for our lives. And he says, I've got a pattern for you. It's different than the one that you've been trying to fit into, that you got from culture, from the world around you. It's, my pattern is not just for you, it's for those around you, because I'm trying to shape you and the person next to them and the person next to you. We're trying to shape all of us so that we can fit seamlessly together. And that's what we're moving toward. We move away from the world and we move toward this picture that God has for us. We have to be transformed. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. As we view God's mercy, we live as living sacrifices and give him our energy, our time, 
and we start to become members of a body. So as we now look at, so what, is, so what are we members of? So we, he's shaping us, he's fashioning us for a specific purpose. What does that look like? He deals with us individually first, and then he brings us together with one another. He shows us why he's molded us the way that he has. So let's take a look at that. We'll go back to Romans in verse 3, verses 3 through 5 here. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we see a couple things here. The first thing that we see is that we are members of a body. The human body is a complex organism. You think of all the different parts. You've got bones and ligaments and tendons and organs and skin and head, shoulders, knees, and toes. We've got all these different parts with different functions, each with their own role to play, and every one of them is critical to the overall function of the body. And Paul reminds us that every part's got a different function. We don't all have the same role. That's by design. And some of them we, we know, we think about a lot. Some of them we don't. Uh, you know, the complexity that we see here is an amazing picture of you and I working together as a church. We all have a different role to play, a different function, and we count on each other for what that looks like, for each of us performing what God has asked us to perform. And if at any point one of those functions fails, if, it, if, if one of them is, is weaker, the whole body's going to feel the impact. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been injured? Do you think about a time when you, just, you, know, you weren't feeling good? Um, how many of you spend a lot of time thinking about your toenails? I, I, don't, I don't think about toenails a lot, but have you ever had an ingrown toenail? How did that feel? I mean, I, fortunately, I've never had one, but my wife has had some ingrown toenails, and those will wreck you. One little thing goes sideways, and it's hard to walk. It just it changes everything in your day until it's healed. So we, we need every part to function the way it was intended, the way it was designed. We see not only as we are members of one body, but we are, the body is, um, we are members of one body in Christ. Paul tells us we are in Christ. And I think that part is crucial. That part is so critical. That's the reason that we come together as a body is to serve him. Without this distinction, I think it's really easy to lose perspective when things get hard that's when we want to pull back a little bit. We, if we don't keep our focus on why we're doing this together, it's just so easy to just want to, want to isolate yourself, to, to go on your own. But because we are members in Christ, we need to press on. That will, that will push us to persevere. We go back to that view of his mercy that keeps us pushing forward, keeps us enduring as we give our lives to him and by extension to his body in his service. We also see here that in Christ we become members of one another. Members of one another. As I've, as I've said, we each have a role to play and without it, things aren't going to work the way that they should. 
God does not intend for us to walk through life following Christ in isolation. That's not his goal for us. He intends for us to walk with him in a community, linking arms together. We've got individual responsibility, but we do it side by side as one team, as one unit. It's a family. It's a body. This is really where it becomes about unity. You know, the the picture here is the unity of the church together globally, all around the world. This is what we are supposed to look like as a church. When our salvation is in Christ, it creates a connectedness with people that are very different than you and I. People with different backgrounds from different countries, with different perspectives, with different lenses that we see the world through, that we would otherwise have very little in common. We can find common ground through our connectedness in Christ as one body. And it gives us the ability to come together. And I think the broader context of the passage is absolutely about God's global church and his global mission. But I think we can apply some of this to our local church right here in Cedar Rapids, right here at Maranatha. I'm going to dial it in a little bit and apply some of this to us. And I'll give you a few reasons why I think it's appropriate. I think it's important for, for a couple reasons. Uh, one is that I don't, I don't think that we can live as an obedient Christian without being a member somewhere locally. I don't think we can truly fulfill the purpose that he has set, us upon, set upon us for the worldwide church without being, without being plugged in somewhere. I mean, you can do a lot of the things individually to worship God. We can, you know, we can, we can find great preaching online. We can serve just about anywhere. There's plenty of causes to give to. There's lots of individual things that we can do to serve God, but we're not going to be as effective at fulfilling his calling without being plugged in and tapped in somewhere. We're not going to be able to truly worship him if we're not digging in in fellowship and in community with one another. Because I think there's a couple problems with this perspective of can I, just, can I just do it on my own? And I think first it's because uh, you know, God's people are God's people. Part of the reason that we, we pull back from being in fellowship at times is because, man, some of these, I, I just don't, I don't get along. There's so much drama. I just don't get why I have to be with people that I don't see eye to eye with. And it's just, it's hard. It is hard. And some of the, I just don't get it. But if, think of it this way. If we want to worship God, I heard, a, heard another pastor use this analogy. He said, if, if you and I were, were hanging out together, you know, and I come to you and I say, hey, you know what, it's been really great living life with you. I like to, you know, we, it's great to, to talk, to fellowship, and just to be with you. I really enjoy that, and it's been great, but I, there's this problem. And it's that whenever we're together, man, your kids are a huge distraction. I can't really like be in relationship with you when your kids are around. They're kind of weird. Have you ever noticed? Your kids are, are weird. They're strange, and it's just, I completely lose my mind whenever they're around. So like, this, you and me, I love it. Let's, let's keep that up. You just keep them away when I'm at your house. Can we do that? It'd be so much easier to be in fellowship with you without your kids. How, how do you respond when somebody says that to you? What would, what would that do to you? those are my kids. You can't be with me without being with my family. It's a package deal. So when we tell God, I like you, but these people of yours, I I don't know. It'd be a lot easier for me to just kind of do this thing with you, Lord, without having to deal with 
all these other people, I, I don't think that's going to work. That's not his goal. He wants us in community because we are his people. We are his people. So if we're going to follow Paul's example as a living sacrifice, we cannot opt out of being involved with his children just because it's hard. In fact, we have to lean into it. The reason that it's hard is he wants, he wants us working together as a body. That's, that's why we come together, is to walk through the ups and the downs with one another. Have you ever had somebody walk beside you during a rough patch? Somebody to, to call you when things are, are not going well so you can talk things out? I mean, you might be a member of this body specifically because somebody is going to walk through the darkest part of, of their life. and They need somebody to walk through it with them. Maybe your role, your function in the body, the reason you've been shaped and pieced together into this larger body is to share in that with someone. You're going to learn from it. You're going to be better able to serve Christ because of what you learned walking through those hard times. Maybe your role is to walk through that difficult time that happens to you so that you can turn around and encourage others. To let them know that, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's a challenge, but I've been there. And let me tell you, Jesus is with me every step of the way, and he's going to be with you too. Maybe that's why we are in this community together. So we are members of one body, together in Christ, each with a different role to play. Without one another, we all suffer. And so we've talked about where it starts. We've talked about what we've become members of. And now what, what do we do once we are formed together? Once we are in this body as members, now what? Well, as members, you know, we talk again about the role that each member plays in the body. And now I want to explore what that looks like within this metaphor of the church. And for, for you and I, for Paul here, he really dives into this concept of spiritual gifts. He says, having gifts, in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see that part of the function that God creates us for is that he's going to give us spiritual gifts to enhance our effectiveness as we serve one another. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been given a gift that wasn't really for you? Has that ever happened to you? And I'm not talking about, you know, like, Homer Simpson giving Marge a bowling ball that said Homer on it. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like, it's not really a you gift. It's more of a, a we gift. You know, I've, I've gotten a couple of these through, over the years. Uh, and my, my favorite one, I think, was a couple years ago for Father's Day, I got a slip and slide. <laughs> now, I... There's nothing wrong with slip and slides, and I like slip and slides. It's, but let's be honest, the slip and slide isn't like at the top of my list. It's not Hawkeye tickets. It's not a new sweatshirt or a gift card to a nice restaurant. It's, it's a slip and slide. A slip and slide basically, you know, as I'm getting older, a slip and slide basically says, Dad, you haven't been to physical therapy for a while. 
Maybe we should explore that. I mean, when you read the instructions for the slip and slide, it should come with the printed copy of my health insurance card because I'm going to hurt myself. So I, I could have been, been bummed out with the slip and slide because it's not really something that I'm going to get all of the use out of. But man, we had some good times on the slip and slide. It's a great way to burn a couple hours on a hot summer day. And then we had a lot of fun with the slip and slide. Well, my point is that the gift isn't just the gift. It's not just for me to use. It's for us to all benefit, for my whole family. And I think as we read this section and we get into spiritual gifts, I think we have to keep that in, in mind because Paul's telling us about some gifts, but these aren't me gifts. These are us gifts. These are we gifts for us to use together. The gifts are meant to be given away and meant to, for, yeah, for, for us to, to, to use in, in context of being a member of the body. So just a, a couple of observations on these last few verses here. Uh, the first one is that, again, we're, we're, Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. So he's not just talking about general gifts. He's not talking about, man, I'm really good at math or I'm a great baseball player. He's not talking about general gifts. He's talking specifically about spiritual gifts which are given to his people for use in the church for, to, 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 to really make their ministry more effective. So I want to make that distinction right up front. He gives us a list. There's a couple of them here. This is not an exhaustive list. There's a number of other spiritual gifts listed throughout Scripture. So this isn't all of them, but you can see here they are given with a specific purpose and a specific application in mind. And everybody in this room who calls on Jesus as Savior has spiritual gifts. And if you're not sure what they are, we can help you find out. And I would encourage you to find out because the function, the form that God has put you in, as, that he's transformed you into as a member of his body was given with one of these or a couple of these gifts in mind. So we have a couple different gifts. They're all different. We all have different gifts. We don't all have the same ones. And they are given to us according to the grace given to us. So this goes back to the way that we were formed and shaped and molded. And God says, I've got a picture for you. I know exactly how you're formed, and I know the person next to you, how they're formed. And there's going to be this interconnectedness that's going to fit together perfectly. You just have to tap into that. But we can't all have the same gift. We can't all do the same things. We can't all be a preacher or a servant or a giver. Uh, you know, Paul actually dives into this in another spot in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about this. He says in, in verses 17 and 18, he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing come from? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So he's got a picture in mind of how the body is going to fit together. We can't all have the same ones, but we all have a specific one to use in his service. And that's the last point here that I want to draw, draw out. As Paul says, according to the gifts given, grace given to us, let us use them. We have to use the gifts that God has given us for one another. And, and a lot of us this morning are doing that. I mean, there's, we've got all kinds of gifts in this body. We're using them. We're serving. We're offering hospitality, contributing financially. We're leading. 
music ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, you name it. We're doing those things because we've, we know we've been given a gift and we are using that the way that we have been called to do so. And I think it's important to note that Paul is talking about using these gifts, I think, we can say, in the context of this body of a local church. And I think it's so important for us to get to know one another and really tap into what it means to be a church body. Because as we are given these spiritual gifts, they are going to be more impactful within the framework of your church than they would be outside of it. And I'll I'll give you an example of what I mean. If your gift is encouragement... You can be a positive person and you can put a smiley face bumper sticker on your car and you can say please and thank you and you can tip well and those things are fantastic. But if your gift is encouragement, you really love to encourage people specifically in a way that speaks to their needs today. And we're not going to know what those needs are unless we are in relationship. And the way we build relationship is to live life together and we, as we dive into what it means to be one body. If your gift is, is generosity, you know, there, and I know there are, there are people in this church that, whose gift is generosity, and I've seen how uh, some of those folks like to be generous, and yeah, you can, you can drop big checks in the offering basket, and that's fantastic, but the people whose gift is generosity, what I've seen what they love to do is they love to figure out specific needs and meet those needs in a way that demonstrates God's faithfulness to a person in their life, not just generally, hey, the budget needs X, Y, and Z, so I will fill that need. They love to meet specific needs. We can't meet specific needs of one another unless we really know one another in the context of a church framework. So I think it's so important that we use these gifts, and in order to really use them the way that God wants us to, we have to know one another. So we're members of one body, members of one body in Christ. We're living sacrifices transformed and molded and shaped and fashioned into a specific form to connect with each other. So I just want to leave us with with two encouragements this morning, two things that we can take away as we close. The first one is, I think hopefully you've heard my heart this morning that what I want more than anything is that we live as one body and we find a way to really connect together. We're all different. We're all unique. But we have been called into this body. And I, and I think it starts for us by committing. Let's, let's dig into this church and this place at this time. Don't, don't date your church. Get married to it. Really dive in. And get to know each other. You know, I was uh, talking to, that we had a, a new couple that was visiting. It was a couple weeks ago. And was chatting them up after church. They sat in the pew right in front of me. So as soon as church was over, we started chatting. And, uh, you know, the, it, was, it was maybe less of a conversation than it was an interview, I kind of felt like. Like there was, there, was an intent, there was a reason behind the questions I was being asked. And one of the questions was, what keeps you, they asked how long we've been coming here. We've been at Maranatha since 2004. And, and, uh, and the gentleman asked, so what, what keeps you coming back? And I honestly, I, I kind of stumbled on this one. I didn't really know what to say. I didn't have a great answer for, for that question. And as I reflected on it, I think the reason that I didn't is because I've never even considered that question before. It, it never occurred to me 
to step back and evaluate, well, why, why do I keep coming back here? Because this is our body. This is our family. This is where we are, and we're here. We're committed. We, my family, we love y'all. <laughs> and we're here, ups and downs, I don't care. We're, we're here. We're committed to being here. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't leave any more than I could stop being an Iowa fan. I mean, it's, it's in my blood. We are here because we love to be here. I can't tell you why I became an Iowa fan. I just know that I am. I grew up in it, and it's too late. It's over. And I, <laughs> the same thing is true of us at Maranatha. We're here because we love to be here. Commit to it. Get to know the people around you. Stop and talk to people. Find margin in your life to connect. And that's, that's the, that leads me to the second thing, is, is just we have to know one another. If we're going to use the gifts that God has given us, we have to find a way to pursue that common ground in Christ. We have to ask questions. We have to talk. We have to take advantage of the ministry opportunities to fellowship and to be together. That's why Maggie and I helped to sponsor the, uh, the, the family reunion stuff that we did this summer because we've got to find that time, that space in our lives where we can just fellowship. It can't stop there. We have to move past fellowship and really dive into what does it mean to serve? What does it mean to speak out in our communities and to truly share the love of God outside of these walls? Worship isn't Sunday morning. It's everything we do. But it starts with you and I loving on each other as one body, as members together in Christ, together with one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're grateful this morning that you did what you did as, and you became a true sacrifice for us that we might become living sacrifices in response and that we can come together as members of one body where the, the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. When we all, we all flourish, when we accomplish the purpose that you created for us, when we share our gifts with one another and with the world around us. Jesus, would you be lifted up, would you be glorified when we pursue your purpose for our lives and we pursue it in community with one another. In Jesus' name we pray.